Brother Matt Thomas's message this morning is entitled Preparations for the Spiritual Kingdom. He's asked that I read to you from Luke 22, verses 24 to 34. Luke 22, 24 to 34. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not me who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are also those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Good morning. It's a good thing we had a long scripture reading. I'm still out of breath from that song, Cody lad. I can hardly sing bass on a good day, but when you got to hold it out that long, it shows me I'm out of shape. Let's continue our worship this morning, shall we? That's just what we're doing when we open the Word of God. Go ahead and open Luke chapter 22, if you would. We're going to open the Word of God and give our attention to it. Uh, We're going to approach the Word this morning, hopefully with humble hearts, with uh, open hearts, and a willingness to submit to the Word of God. Uh, there, this is a big chapter. It's long. Um, and it encompasses a large portion of the final week of Jesus' life. You know, a lot of the Gospels um, cover just the final eight days of Jesus' life. And we've, we've been in uh, uh, several chapters into this final week so far. But at the beginning of Luke 22, it's actually Tuesday likely. It's Tuesday, and Judas is going about his dark business of seeking a way to betray the Savior. Judas is, uh, his downfall isn't so much that he hates Jesus. It's that he's attached to the world. Probably a couple of lessons earlier in the week and even this day where Jesus was anointed with an expensive Uh, an amount of oil upon his head and then when he called the disciples over in the temple while he was teaching and pointed out the widow who gave just two mites but she gave all that she had and he praised her for not being attached to the world in in essence might have been all Judas could handle that might have tipped him over to where he just thought I can't do this I, I don't know but he he loved money the scripture says that that he, he kept the money bag, he used to take what was in it. And he loved money. And, and so we see him setting up this dramatic end 
to the week that's coming. Now, by the time we get down to verse 7, it's Thursday, the day of the Passover feast, the day of, of unleavened bread has come. And so this, what is normally a seven-day feast, um, is going to begin on a Thursday, the 15th of Nisan, uh, the Jewish month. And it is um, uh, time for them to make preparations to eat the Passover, which was the commemoration of the Israelites being called out of Egypt by God through the leadership of Moses. And they're, they're about to partake of this Passover. And so Jesus sends uh, Peter and John to make preparations. He tells them how to do that as his deity is revealed through that act by him knowing that they will meet a certain man on the street and, and to tell him what to do. And he would do that for them. But now um, in, in just the, the following verses, it's evening. It's twilight. It might even be dark. You know, there's a bounty on Jesus' head. It's been out for a while. The leaders for several months have put out to the general public that they want someone to bring him to them. They have even sent escorts to take him by force. And they have returned saying, no man ever spoke like this man. And they've sent uh, some of their their greatest academians to try to trip him up in the law and in political matters, etc. And they all return saying, we cannot catch him in his words and we cannot, we cannot accuse him of sin. And so what they're doing is they're planning a way to take him in secret. They feared the people if they tried to arrest him in public. And so Jesus and the disciples are coming in each day into Jerusalem very early in the morning. He's going right into the temple right away and beginning to teach. And he's kind of been under the, under the cover of safety in those settings. But then at night, they're going out to the Mount of Olives and uh, sleeping out under the stars. Well, this pattern provided a way for Judas to be able to locate him and turn him over into the hands of, of his enemies. They really don't need to chase him down now. They've got one on the inside working for them. So it's tense. The disciples are pretty uptight. They're really concerned about all this talk about him going to Jerusalem, making his final journey, being arrested, suffering at the hands of the Jewish authorities, being killed by them, but yet raising from the dead. But they're still kind of clouded about the whole, he's going to die. And so they're uptight. All it takes is a little spark, if you can imagine, just a little spark to get a good quarrel going among them. It may well have happened in the seating arrangement in the upper room around the table. Do you know who's on either side of Jesus? The beloved apostle whom he loved leaning on his breast, probably John. And on the other side, the one who with him dipped his hand, the bread in the dish, Judas. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting that Judas forged his way in to be beside Jesus that night. Peter seems to be maybe across the table. If you picture if you can picture a large table with 
couches, if you will, to recline on. That's how the Jews ate. They would, they would recline on their left side with their feet up on couches, and they would eat with their right hand. And so if you can picture them all around this table reclining, Peter must have been somewhere across the table because when Jesus said, one of you will betray me this night, Peter gestured to John to ask him who it would be. He didn't whisper it, he gestured it. And so if you picture this scene around the table with with John here endeared to him, Judas here agonizing, but having already made the decision that he would betray him, and Peter across the way probably put out a little bit that he was across the table, maybe. It's tense. And a quarrel arose as to who would be the greatest. Boy, what a time for that. Maybe, maybe they, it started out as fault-finding and blaming. Maybe in the prediction of, of one betraying him, they, they began to justify that it wouldn't be me. Maybe it was, maybe it was in the first person, well, it's not going to be me. Maybe they're kind of settled into camps that, that it would be certain ones of those who were greatest in, in their eyes, in the ministry of Jesus, you know how often he took Peter, Andrew, uh, Peter, James, and John, and and did some very specific things just with them being present. The transfiguration on the mountain, the raising of of the girl from the dead. Maybe they, there were those who said, "Well, it's going to be one of those guys," but they were quarreling among who would be greatest. It was probably church at this time during dinner that John records later about this incident, which he would have now began to take on a spectator's view as Jesus stood up from the table and walked around the outside, taking off his outer cloak and putting a towel around his waist, girding himself this way, taking a basin of water, And going first to Peter, makes you wonder if he was at the end of the table, doesn't it, across the way. And so Peter was watching as as Jesus was speaking and and seeing him dip with Judas and wondering what was going on and, and John leaning by his side. Now John is watching Jesus work on Peter. So Jesus gets down. Remember, they would be reclined, their feet would be up. And so Jesus would have only perhaps standing but perhaps kneeling down would have only uh, would have only had to go down to the couch level to, to wash their feet. And he begins to wash. And Peter, of course, responds appalled. And he says, never, Lord, you shall not wash my feet. But when Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me, Peter changed his tune. There's something that they don't understand that they've got to get. And this is, church, this is what you've got to get this morning. This is what I have got to get this morning. This is the must of the sermon. This, this is the takeaway that Jesus asks. He says, you do not know what I'm doing yet. But when he finished washing their feet in John 13, he asked then, do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? Well, they really didn't. 
they were still kind of baffled why he would have taken on this role of the servant being the greatest in the room. Do you know what I've done to you? He said, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. I've given you an example that you should do as I've done it. You talk about disquieting an argument about greatness quickly. How small they must have felt when he began to wash their feet. That's a humbling thing. I've only done that once and had it done to me once, just in an exercise with some college students to see what would that be like? Well, I mean, what's the experience like? What do you feel like when somebody's washing your feet with the right? It's really humbling. And it's, now it's just a reenactment, right? But it's just the experience of somebody holding your feet and rubbing and getting dirt. And feet are not a pretty thing, are they? I don't care who you, I don't care if you just came from a pedicure or whatever. Um, I don't really like to touch feet. And I sure don't like my feet to be touched because I'm ticklish. I'm ticklish. I wonder if any of them laughed. I don't think so. But it was too solemn of a moment. It's a humbling experience, and what he was doing here was monumental because in this act of humble service, Jesus was preparing this group of prideful men to go out into the world with a powerful new leadership model. A powerful new leadership model. We could call it servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now, they're not thinking about leadership, really, until he begins to teach them about how the Gentiles do things and how the the rulers lord it over their subjects. And he said, since you understand this thing, and we can see this when we look around in in the governing systems of the world, including our very own, we can look around and we don't see servant leadership very often, do we? We don't see it in kingdoms. That's kind of top-down. We don't, we don't see it in um, communistic societies or socialist republics or democracies, even constitutional republics like our own, where we elect public servants to serve our needs. We still see their shortcomings when they're interested in personal gain. It's a very, very rare thing to have a public servant serve in the best interests of the people they represent. Very rare thing. It's hard to find. And Jesus said, when you look around and you see how everybody governs in their nations, This is not how it's going to be done in my kingdom. There's going to be a new kingdom. It's spiritual. It's just around the corner, even nigh within hours. And it's not going to be like that. A few sentences later in John 13, about verses 34 and 5, Jesus simply called it love. He said... A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
And I want you to love each other as I've loved you. And by this, when the world sees your love for one another, by the way you serve and are willing to wash each other's feet, for example, they'll know that you're my disciples. They'll see me. So when you get this lesson, people are going to know who you're associated with because nobody else in the world does it this way. They're going to, they're going to come to know who I am when you love one another so much that you're willing to do the uncommon, the unexpected, the unappreciated sometimes. And that is when people will see most clearly who Jesus is. In serving, Jesus did not yield up His Lordship. He did not yield up His Lordship, His deity. As John spoke in the Lord's Supper, He was willing to put our interests above His own, but He never denied who He was in so doing. And by doing this unpopular thing, think about it, everyone in the room, everyone in that room was elevated. They were exalted. Jesus did not demean His own deity. He honored it. He glorified God by serving these men. And He did not demean them by washing their feet, but He exalted them to true greatness when he said you do as I have done to you he empowered them he he exalted them he lifted them up to where they could do something truly great in God's eyes and it was not at all the perspective that they had been taking on even through his ministry even in hearing all the lessons if you think about all the lessons they heard on humility on serving on putting others first. Think about all the sermons and lessons they heard. Think about the hours and hours those disciples watched Jesus embody this and live this. And they're still struggling with it at this point. Do you know when it finally sunk in? It finally sunk in when He rose from the dead and they came to grips with the fact that He was alive again. And even that took a while. It took Thomas a while. It took the whole lot of them time to absorb the gospel. That Christ died for them, but that He rose again and is truly Master of all. He's truly Lord of Lords, and that means, yes, I am but a lowly servant underneath the mighty reign of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is what instilled in them the understanding and the motive to be able to change their minds about how they viewed greatness and begin to serve. And serve they did. Serve they did. Not infallibly. And surely not immediately. Because sometime in the course of this evening and in the conversations that were held there, Peter said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you to prison, even to death. 
And Jesus said, mm, Simon, Simon. And he revealed this startling truth that only he knew at this time. He said, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. To put you in a threshing and sift you and see what you're made of. He's asked me for you. How would you feel if you heard that? Wow. He said, but I've prayed for you. Simon wasn't praying for himself. They went over into the, to the garden and Jesus said, stay here and pray a while. And they did what? They kept falling asleep. Now, it's hard for me to shake my head at that because at that time of night, I think I might have been falling asleep too. But the master said, pray that you enter not into temptation. What happened to Peter that very night? He was tempted. What was he doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping when he should have been praying and watching as Jesus has been teaching them. Here is actually the occasion where the teaching needed to translate into action and Peter needed to be saying, hey, I'm tired, but something's going down. The master is over here by himself praying and he's sweating and he's agonizing and he comes back and he goes back and prays again. He tells me to stay awake. I'm staying awake. Peter wasn't praying and watching. And Jesus said here, before that even happened, I've prayed for you. I've been praying for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. Now you think right away, oh, Jesus' prayer wasn't answered because Peter's faith failed. Now think about this. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. That's interesting. Because I would look at that and say, well, yeah, Peter's faith failed. Peter's flesh failed. May I propose to you that Peter's flesh failed. His faith was weak, but his roots were deep enough. Church, his roots were deep enough in his love for Christ that Jesus said, when you return to me, I've prayed for you that you'll return to me. What did Judas do? Judas failed in the flesh and his faith failed because he cashed not only in the chips that he took to betray the Lord, but he cashed in his own life. Jesus said, Peter, I've prayed for you when you return. Church, Jesus is not only preparing them for servant leadership, He's preparing them for failure. Did you hear me? He's preparing them for failure. Well, what do we do? We're only human. How are we going to go save the world? I don't even know if I believe all this. Somebody's going to betray you. We don't even know who it is. What? This is chaos. I'm going to be praying for you, men, that your faith will not fail. Your flesh is weak. You're going to sin and I'm going to receive you by grace with open arms when you come back. Now go and strengthen my brethren, your brethren, my people. Wow. That's some powerful dialogue, isn't it? So he's teaching them how to succeed. Do you want to change the world? Take up a towel. 
and take up a wash basin and learn how to do this. Learn how to, to grab ugly, stinky things and shine them up. Learn how to exalt people by putting them above yourself. You want to learn how to fail? Never quit. N never quit. You're going to do things that you're going to be ashamed of. Peter still said, I'm willing to die for you. They all agreed. Yes, no, we, no, no, Jesus. And what happened that very night? They all scattered. Peter, bless his heart, kind of like he's the one that got out of the ship and started walking on the water, and we pick on him because he sank. He got out of the ship. He got out of the boat and walked on water, actually. Well, guess who's the one following him within eye shot and ear shot? They all fled. Peter wanted to be close to him. He made those bold accusations. And before that rooster crowed twice that morning, and even while Peter was in the midst of the sentence of denying that he knew Jesus the third time the rooster crowed and Jesus was able to look out, being in custody, look out into the courtyard, probably the high priest's house, and see Peter out there in the, the early morning light warming himself by the fire, and they made eye contact. And Peter's flesh failed and he wept bitterly. But do you know that when the risen Lord came to them on the shore of Galilee, Peter jumped into the water to go meet Him? When you return to Me. You think that stuck in Peter's mind when he was out there fishing, waiting? Waiting on the next great thing that was about to happen and waiting on the Lord's instructions. And He came to him and He restored him. Church, we've got to lead amongst ourselves by washing each other's feet. We've got to lead in the community by washing feet. And however many different ways that looks. You know what I mean when I say by washing feet. We won't win many souls if we literally go up and start taking people's shoes off and washing their feet. So you know I'm speaking figuratively. But we've got to lead the world in this. We've got to lead the world in this. And we're ready to do this. We've got to take up the, the towel and the wash basin. And I want to tell you that your leadership is willing and ready to do this. They're calling you along to come with them. Not in a false humility must we take up the towel. Not for personal gain. Not, not for greatness. Or our own gain or our own image. That's obvious. But because Christ is Lord. And He's risen from the dead and He's alive today. And as we sang, Cody led that song before the communion. We gather here and He is in our presence. This is why we ought to be humble enough to serve and realize that this is the power that changes people's minds about who Jesus Christ is. It gets them to see 
past all of the religiosity, all of the falseness in Christendom in the world, and to see face to face who Jesus Christ is. It swings doors wide open for you to be able to tell people what you know about who you're embodying in your service. It opens the door for that gospel to be spoken after it's shown. This is what Jesus was doing in this upper room, among some other things that we need to get. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. Do you know what I have done to you? And I pose that to you, church. Do you know what Jesus has done here? By this, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another like I've loved you. His arms are open. He's willing to receive all who come to Him in faith and wash them through the cleansing flood of His blood in the waters of baptism, symbolically of course. And He's got His arms wide open to His people who have gotten away from Him to serve idols, who have gotten away from Him and are no longer serving in His kingdom. His arms are wide open to you. So today, make yourself right with God. Make yourself right with God, praying to Him, repenting of your sins, and becoming one with Him in His mission to save the lost. Let's stand and sing.